G'day and once again, welcome back to the podcast. In our time-travelling adventure, it is Friday, 2nd of August, 1946. And whilst Betty's hometown of Sydney, Australia is expecting a fine, cool day, a cold night, morning fog or haze and moderate to fresh westerly winds, it is, after all, August, weather conditions are stinking hot and humid in Nanchang. Before we catch up with Betty today and what she has to say, we might hear a little bit more from the official story of UNRWA. Chapter 17. Ploughshares for the Battlefields While UNRWA was working with one hand to rush food into battleground countries, it was struggling with the other to help each land rest more and more from its own soil. There was little to work with at first. The stern indispensables of farmers the world over, a horse, a cow, a plough, seeds, fertilisers, had almost disappeared. Livestock had been driven away in herds, had been eaten, had perished. Farm implements had been beaten into weapons, those that couldn't be carted away were worn out or rusted. Nowhere was there enough of the right kind of seeds to plant. Weeds stood high in many fields and fertilisers for long-neglected soil were almost non-existent. Men, women and children went out that first spring after the shooting stopped in Europe to scratch at the bare earth with sticks or to hitch themselves to the few ploughs that were left. But willpower and sweat alone were not enough, and the less food produced in a country, the more UNRWA would have to import. UNRWA set out, therefore, in its agricultural rehabilitation program to give indigenous production as large a lift as possible towards pre-war levels. The supplies it sent included everything to plant, cultivate, harvest, and even to pack and preserve crops. There were farm tractors, reapers and binders, chemicals to kill crop-destroying insects and to fight plant and animal diseases, tons and tons of seeds matched to the climates in which they would grow, horses and mules and heifers and bulls, and even baby chicks and hatching eggs, hand tools by the thousands, hoes and rakes, sickles and scythes. It is estimated that UNRWA supplies and experts put about 25 million acres back into production. We'll resume the story of UNRWA in further episodes, but now it's time to hear from Bet. Mrs. Betty Souter, UNRWA Regional Office, Nanchang, Changsi, 2nd of August 1946. Mother Darling, I have seven letters of yours unanswered. Five of them arrived at the one time about four or five days ago, so I will read them through in turn and answer any questions. And I will probably find that this letter will have to be in several sections, in several different envelopes. The letters I have to answer are numbers 12, 
accompanying the patterns for which many thanks. We can use them. 14, 15, 16, 16A, 17, and 17A. Now that we have made a fuss at Shanghai, it is not much quicker to address the mail direct to Nanchang. So I think Shanghai is better, in case I do move around. It seems, too, that parcels and papers arrive in the same time as the letters, and everything takes one month to five weeks. Air letters are about a week quicker on the whole, sometimes two weeks quicker, and have been as much as six weeks. So please keep up with the air letters. I am glad that you are keeping my letters because I just do not have time to keep a diary too. I would rather write home than make entries in a little book just for my own use. I have my tiny day book with half a dozen words as to each day's movements, but I really use it more as an engagement book. I hope the letters to the girls, the interesting ones, not just the goss, are being kept with the general file too. There is so much to remember that I am sure to forget a great deal unless I have those written reminders. The work is increasing, and that means that I have less time to do my writing. I have not tried any of those little articles for a long time, I fear. Hank is taking up quite a bit of spare time too, but more of him anon. I hope Joan Forrest will be all that Auntie B and Uncle Dick want of her. I do so often think of them. They seem to have had three or four very unhappy and worrying years, and it would be nice for them now if Joan and the baby could make up for it all. Please give them my love, and I hope that they are much better than when you wrote. I still have not got any of my luggage, but this is China, and I just expect it when it arrives. It may be here when some new people come during the next week or the week after that. But only one suitcase. I gave UNRWA more credit than it deserved and asked them to hold the rest until I called for it to be sent, thinking that I could have it within four or five weeks whenever I asked. I still do not know whether the other case turned up from Sydney. When Harry checked for me some weeks ago, there was one bag missing and he set the inquiry going before he left Shanghai. However, Hank is going down to Shanghai definitely in about three weeks' time, and after four or five weeks there, he's coming back and will bring all of it back with him personally. In the meantime, I seem to manage, having bought a few lengths of cottons and engaging a tailor who does not understand a word I say. The results are strangely satisfactory in every way and amazingly quick. I have quite decided to purchase my quota of camphor wood boxes, but I will probably have to bring them back when I come. I will not buy any suitcases, and I will replace any of the present ones, if they need replacing, with boxes. I was interested to find that the Chinese ladies here keep all their clothes in wooden boxes, and their clothes keep for years. We hang ours in wardrobes, and they get mouldy in a week. Actually, it doesn't matter to us, because the armor airs our whole belongings every five or six days as a matter of routine, wet weather or dry. I cannot resist the idea of sending home a few parcels, though, and I am getting a little box made up by the carpenter now to pack up with a few china odds and ends. Lots of things that I pick up are not especially valuable, but, to me, 
They seem to be characteristically Chinese. Do not think I have been done in if you find a chip or a crack, because I examine everything carefully, especially the antique or pre-war pieces, and I do my bargaining accordingly. Do not worry about my health. Even in light of some of the comments that I made to Dad in the critical letter of owner and neglect of personnel, you might hear the cholera is bad up here. It is. We have had an epidemic right here in Nanchang. Bubonic plague is raging about 30 miles south of here. One of our houseboys was admitted to hospital with typhoid last night. You are almost certain to read of these things or hear them somehow. Otherwise, I might think twice about telling you. But every precaution is taken, and the individual persons here have gone to some trouble to get a few private medical supplies just in case. For instance, I now have a fair supply of atabrin and quinine, just in case of malaria, which has really been bad here for some weeks. And the doctors have urged friends in Shanghai to send them private parcels of various odds and ends. Every precaution is taken. We have DDT'd the house, sleep under nets, do all we can to keep the rats down, impossible to exterminate them altogether apparently, and are particularly careful about the habits of the servants, the general sanitation of the place, and our food. Even our washing water is properly chlorinated and filtered. Drinking water is, of course, boiled and hygienically bottled and sealed under supervision. I am not concerned, but I am always careful, and I do not think there is any reason at all for you to worry. I am surprised the reader's digests are still coming through. thought that I had finished up my subs on them. Yes, I would like to have a few of them and an occasional woman or woman's weekly. I just devoured the Woman's Weekly that Phil packed in with the little pillow. Your letters are coming in wonderfully well. It's no use, Mum. Letters are over for the night. Half a dozen madcaps are in, crazy as loons, so good night for now and all my love. Boo. Two hours later. We have had a couple of hours of bright and amusing chatter here in the office, sitting on the desk's mantelpiece. The party has dissolved. I'm not sleepy, and so I will continue in letter two. And to continue, Mother dear, I have already told Phil about the cessation of our gardening, so I will not repeat. I heard from Pam, two letters written from Australia before he left for England. Apparently he saw quite a bit of Dad, and he certainly did appreciate it. My snaps are very slow in getting back from Shanghai. Harry put a bundle of them into the ill-fated suitcase, which should be arriving soon. Marge took a couple of me this week, and I hope they will come out all right. I'm sure that I told you that I had heard from Roland, and also from Ronald Rolfe. I too am anxious to go on and meet all those people, but guess I will be coming home first after all. We are all still uncertain about requirements of our services in China, so far as the length of service is concerned. Nothing definite has come out yet, so as far as we know, it is just for the one year for which we signed on. Strange to hear your continual references to the cold weather, 
while we are sweating our skins away up here. I believe that our winters get extra cold, though, to make up for it. Young Ross seems to be developing into a bit of a bruiser, but I guess all little boys have to go through that stage. I am sure I would not be as complacent and capable in the circumstances as Dosh is. Joan Louise has probably grown up such a lot. Please let me have her measurements for a frock as soon as possible, assuming that she will get it for about Christmas. I'm going to try to get one in real Chinese style. I think that it would suit her, but I might as well get it to fit. In the meantime, I hope to get some materials packed off home for you all. I rather like the cottons here, and no coupons, of course. Your always busy life seems to be getting busier than ever. That new and smaller house will come none too soon for you. Then you'll be able to get out twice a day instead of only every day. Somehow, I think that you are just like dear old Graham in that respect, even though you used to growl at her for all her activity. Here in Nanchang, I cannot get you a baby's cap with bells on. It seems to be a Shanghai special. Most of the babies do not wear any clothes at all here, and I do not think you could see your grandchildren in those pants with the split right up the back. Maybe I will buy a pair, though, just as a curio. There has been a hold-up in my allotment here, and for the first time, for a long time, I have felt broke. Purely technicalities in the accountancy system, and a bit more tomfoolery in the Shanghai office. But, as from tomorrow, I should be able to get some money through. My letter of credit is quite useless here in the outback, but I'm managing all right. It has just cut down my spending capacity for a while. I did not know of the change in Dad's telephone number. Take a bit of getting used to after all this time. I'm so glad that Phil is now in the hookup. Guess there is a need for a switch girl there now too. Terrific thunderstorm has just developed and I'm expecting the lights to fail at any minute. I'm still looking forward very much to a time when I can be alone. I do not mean entirely alone, but just in a spot that is secluded, where there are not masses of gaping people to watch your every move. Life here is just like life on the street. Home is going to be wonderful, even if it were just for that in itself. The first picnic that I wrote you about has been the only time so far. We tried it again, but it didn't work. They were even waiting for us, with invitation to wine and dine in the home of the owner of the land on which we had squatted that other time. Brigadier Field is back in Shanghai, but I think I mentioned that to Dad. I'm now down to the last two letters written from Melbourne. You certainly did yourselves proud with your suite at the Windsor. That is the right way to enjoy your holiday, and it all sounded very super. In fact, there was much in your letters to make me envious of your luxuries. Even a water tap that runs would make my heart miss a beat. And as for radio, I am honestly hungry for music. I could go on my knees at this moment and pray for just one piece from Master's fingertips. But... After I had heard that one piece, I would not let her go for hours. But the day will surely come, and Mars had better be ready for me too. 
I am glad that she got herself something that she wanted for her birthday from me. I was, of course, thinking of her. Even though I cannot judge properly to get even a letter to you all on those special days, I am thinking of the anniversaries of all kinds. We'll be waiting to hear whether you accomplished all the intended shopping in Melbourne, especially the full details of Martha's evening frock. Sounds to me as if she is stepping out in no uncertain manner these days. Hope you managed to find Marge's people in Melbourne. It is an unusual name. She is one of a family of six, and her mother is living, but her father, of whom I would say she was unusually fond, died last year. It seems that his birthday was on July 26th, and hers is on July 27th, and that they used to go everywhere and do everything together. I gather that she is not so close to the rest of her family, and that she feels her father's death still very, very badly. She really is a lovely girl, and I get even fonder of her as I spend more and more time with her. You hope that the weather is not too humid? Mum, I just cannot describe it. It is honestly worse than anything you can imagine. One never stops sweating. Fortunately, we have had a few days with a breeze, and the heat rashes have subsided quite a bit. But today it started again. I am just never dry, and there is no talc powder in the place. Our supplies, including the talc, are two months late in being sent to us from Shanghai, and we have not let their neglect go without comment either. We are all in the same boat, though, so just have to take it. Molly Duncan has not been too well. She really is very nice. Looks like the end of the paper. Now only one of the seven letters left for reply, so I will leave that for another time. With my bestest love to you all, especially to Mum and Pop. Your boo. Kiss. Production credits for this episode. Produced and narrated by Warren Henry. The voice of Betty Souter by Helen Polkinghorne. And the featured tune this episode from Portugal. Mean Sargen, performed by Isora Garcia. Carteiro chegou e o meu nome gritou com uma carta na mão Ante surpresa tão rude nem sei como pude chegar ao portão Lembro um envelope bonito no seu subscrito eu reconheci A mesma caligrafia que disse-me um dia estou farto de ti Porém não tive coragem de abrir a mensagem De tristeza, quanta verdade tristonha ou mentira risonha, uma carta nos traz, e assim pensando rasguei uma carta e queimei para não sofrer
tristeza Quanta verdade tristonha ou mentira risonha Uma carta nos traz E assim pensando rasguei Tua tarde queimei Para não sofrer mais Quando o carteiro chegou E o meu nome gritou Com uma carta na mão Ante surpresa tão rude Nem sei como pude chegar ao mar Eu reconheci a mesma caligrafia que disse meu 